Alright, so we're finishing up the book of James. And so just kind of a little bit of a review before we go back. So something that we have kind of are seeing throughout the book of James is just, you know, he's covering a bunch of bases, a lot of different subjects that any church would need. And, you know, in chapter 1, I think we kind of see the basic theme or one of the uh, main goals for all believers is that we be like Christ. And there's often things that prevent us from being like Christ. Of course, we have the lust of the flesh and all that kind of stuff that we're always dealing with. But patience is also talked about a lot in here too. And whenever you try doing the right thing, when you try being the right kind of Christian, there are going to be, you know, it's going to get tempting. It's going to get trying. You're going to have, uh, you're, you're going to want to give up. You're going to want to quit. But there are certain things that we need to remember, things we need to comfort ourselves with whenever we are experiencing those things. Okay? And as a Christian, it is not always going to be just sunshine and roses. You're not always going to be on a mountaintop. You're going to have low points. So you've got to remember certain things. So verse 1, it says, Go to now ye rich men, weep and howl, for your miseries shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. And ye shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the years of the Lord of Sabaoth. So notice how in this, how all of a sudden it goes to the rich men. Now why is that? Well, in chapter 4 at the end of it, Notice how it was talking about, it mentioned, you know, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city, continue there a year and buy and sell. But he says, whereas ye know not what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor which appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Often, we depend on the things of this earth. We depend on, you know, the fact that we're healthy. And so we think we've got a long life ahead of us. We often depend on our riches thinking the riches will get us through the hard times. Many people think, you know, I'll be able to survive the hard times. I'll be able to survive any potential famines if I just have enough, you know, food saved up. If I have enough money saved up, then I'll be able to survive anything. But right here, God's kind of calling out the rich men. He's calling them out in chapter 5. And he's like, you know, you've heaped together yourselves treasures for the last days, but you know what? It's not going to do anything for you. And the truth is, what we need in order to survive the difficult times is we need God on our side. We need to comfort ourselves in the Lord, but too many times we can get looking at the things of this world, we can see the things that we're surrounded with and say, you know what, you know, it's a losing battle. We're fighting a losing battle. You know, it's just it's too hard. We have no chance of winning. You know, and then people often they give up and they start turning to the things of the world. They start going, seeking after the riches and all those things. But right here in chapter 4, I love this verse here in chapter 4 because you've got these rich men. They're taking advantage of people. They're taking advantage of the laborers. They've you know, been kept back by fraud and there's people who are crying in the streets. Okay? And one thing that we see in the Old Testament that I believe is still true today, when you oppress the poor and they are few, when you hurt those who are defenseless, when you take advantage of the widow, when you take advantage of the orphans. Remember what the Bible said? It talked about how 
if you know if you do those things and they cry unto me, I will hear their cries, and you know I'll kill you. I mean, God promised that when we do, when we oppress people, when we take advantage of those who are defenseless, and if they cry to the Lord, we are in big trouble. And I believe that's one of the reasons we haven't seen the judgment of God fall on America, because our country does. It is horrible to people. We do see, you know, there are so many, just thousands and thousands of children being molested by perverts these days. But it's like, so it's like, why isn't the judgment of God falling? I'll tell you why. Because they're not crying out to the Lord. You know why? Because they haven't been taught to do that. They've been going to the public school system where they're being taught that there is no God. And so these young kids who. If they would have, just, if they just cry out to the Lord in their distress, they, I believe God would protect them. I believe God would help them. But you know what? Instead, they hate God, and you know what happens? They become the next child molesters. They become the next homosexuals or whatever. They get their mind distorted from these things. And if they would only just cry out to the Lord, because look what God said here in verse at the end of verse four. He said. These cries of them which are reaped are entered into the year ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. All right. Now that's a term. I believe this is the only time we even see this word in the Bible. But uh, we also we know this word from the Song of Mighty Fortresses or God, Lord Sabaoth. His name. That name Sabaoth. It means to uh, in the Hebrew word to assemble or to fight, according to the definition of it. I've heard I heard a preacher say at one time that basically the Lord of Sabaoth, Sabaoth is his fighting name. Okay? Have you ever known somebody with a fighting name? I used to work with a guy. He was one of these MMA fighters. He had a big tattoo in Japanese on his arm, you know. And I asked him what it said, and it, it you know, and it it what it was his fighting name in Japanese. And um, you know, a lot of fighters will have those fighting names. And you know what? The Lord's got a fighting name. And it's Sabaoth. And basically, we do see that one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come and He's going to be ready to fight. Remember our study through the book of Revelations? And that's why, folks, when you're being oppressed, when the world's coming against you, we are not to take vengeance on the world. Okay? Vengeance belongs to God, but we, I preached on this when we were going talking about the wrath of God. If you really want to get at your enemies... What you need to do is cry out to the Lord when your enemies are against you. You say, well, I want to see how my enemies go down right now. Well, here's the thing. That's what you would do in your justice, but what God does in His justice is always going to be better. And the truth is, you know, while I would love to be able to just, you know, push a button and watch every pervert drop dead, that's... Obviously not just. God has not given me that ability. That would be too good for them. Whatever God does is going to be better. It is very clear in the book of Revelation that when God is pouring His wrath out, everyone is going to be suffering. Everyone is going to be regretting their decisions at that point. Everyone who's cast into the lake of fire is going to regret their lifestyle and the things that they did. Every single one of them. And we've got to remember that... you know. Unfortunately, even a lot of Christians, they've fallen for this hippie version of Jesus that's just all peace and love. But folks, there's coming a day when those who did not receive His payment on the cross 
are going to pay themselves. And the blood is going to flow to the horse's bridle in the valley of Jehoshaphat. He is going to tread the winepress in the fierceness of His wrath. He is going to come and there is going to be a slaughter like never before. And what's He going to do with their bodies? Is He going to give them a proper burial? No, you know what they're going to do? The fowls are going to come and they're going to eat their carcasses is what the Bible says. It's going to be a mess. That is the end for our enemies. That is what's coming. Why? Because God is hearing the prayers of the righteous. He does hear these things. It's entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And one of these days, He is going to come back and He is going to defeat them. And so whenever you find yourself getting discouraged, you know what you need to do? You need to remember the book of Revelation. Remember that book. That's what's going to come. You know, any victory that the world gets is only temporary. One thing too, and I've pointed this out before, when you're in the, when you're reading the Old Testament and you're watching Israel get judged, okay, Israel they were the people of God. God often used wicked nations to punish Israel, but because they were God's people, those nations would always suffer later as a, as a result of attacking Israel, didn't they? That's what that's what always happened. God kept track. Sometimes it was years later. Okay, before I mean, even generations later. In fact, some of the judgment is still yet to come for things that were done over two thousand years ago. That and that's just reality. But either way, the more victories that the world gets, the more judgment that they've got coming later. So just remember that, because the Bible, according to the Bible, when we suffer for the cause of Christ, when we suffer earthly defeats. That's just rewards in heaven for us. When they win, that's more judgment for them in the future. And we've got to remind ourselves of these things. And and the devil, he's real good at trying to get us to look at right now and the present situation and you know what's going on in our life today. You know what's what what am I dealing with today? That's what he tries to get us looking at. And if we get just looking at that, we're going to be in trouble. But folks, are we not believers? Are we not people of faith? Doesn't the Bible say we walk by faith and not by sight? You know, I I like literally busted out laughing. I was watching one of these atheists. He was talking about you know these you Christians. The only thing you can do you know to prove there's a God is use faith. And I'm like, he obviously doesn't understand Christianity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we use is faith. That is exactly what we are all about. We don't need to use science, even though they don't demonstrate anything with science. We don't use that. We use faith. And you know what? It's your faith that determines where you will spend eternity, not your knowledge, not your not science. Not, okay, how much you know does not determine where you'll spend eternity. It is where you have placed your faith. It is not your works that determine where you will spend eternity. If it was about our works, then we would all go to hell. Okay, But it is about where we put our faith. So when I hear an atheist talk about you Christians have nothing but faith, well, I actually think we have a little more than that. I think there's plenty of evidence that there's God. But you know what? If all we had is faith, good enough for me. That That's what's going to determine where I spend eternity. So that's all I really care about. That's all that's important. And you know what? I will continue to prove my point when it comes to what I believe and what my position is 
I will continue to point to the Bible. When they can show me where I'm wrong in the Bible, then I'll change. Okay? But I could care less about their scientific textbooks that they don't even know who wrote that change all the time. I could care less about that. I could care less about their resource of the Discovery Channel that they have. You know, folks, we live in a world today that thinks a man can be a woman. Why, why would I trust their science? Okay? But when a guy says that he's a lesbian, <laughs> you know, why would I listen to what they have to say about science? Okay? I'm not going to listen to that. You know, when for 6,000 years there were two genders, and then all of a sudden, in literally just the last few years, we've got however many genders, I'm sorry, your science isn't going to be real convincing to me. When you, tell, when you call Bruce Jenner a she, your science isn't real convincing to me. And, you know, what, is, what do they call it now? Is, is, it mis, is it misgendering? Is that what it's called? They're like trying to make that. That's like literally a crime in some places today to misgender somebody. What's that? Yeah, in Canada. Canada, it is a crime to misgender somebody. Do you all see that video with that one dude? It's bam! That, 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 that was one of the funniest videos too. That, that's what the gays have to be proud of right there. You know, that dude, ra- Roy, raging out in a, a GameStop because <laughs> a guy called him sir or something like that. He, mis- he misgendered him. Folks, that misgendered, it's a crime in Canada, yet that's a brand new word. Think about that. That is a new word. Go find that in a dictionary that, you know, before 2000. I wonder if that's even made the dictionary yet. Oh, that'd be an interesting thing to look up. You know, the oldest dictionary that the word misgender is in. But yet, uh, that's a crime today. If you do that, how in the world are we supposed to just fix everybody on that at once? I'm sorry. You know, I, I call guys, sir, him, and females, ma'am, her. I'm going to keep doing that, but... Either way, you know, thankfully we have something that's constant. We have something that stood the test of time. And we're going to you know, keep on just trusting God. He knows what He's doing. And He is going to, he's going to take care of these things in the end. So the greater their victories are against us, the greater their defeat will be in the end. The farther ahead someone is in like a sporting event, the more humiliating the loss is when they finally lose, isn't it? And I've seen some pretty good comebacks before in sports. And it's always humiliating to lose that way. So the farther ahead they get of us, the more humiliating and disappointed they are going to be in the end when they finally lose. So we just need to be patient waiting for the coming of the Lord. So look what it says in verse uh, 5. It says, Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Okay? Just get your hearts right. Establish your hearts. 
just figure it out, get it determined. Jesus Christ is coming. It's getting closer. It's getting closer and closer every day. And so just stay faithful. We need to be patient until He returns. And so it is. It's difficult being patient when the world's getting victories. But you know what? We're just we're gonna wait, knowing that the win is gonna be that much better when we finally win. Okay? Jesus was dead for three days. That is a defeat, is it not? That was a defeat when he was dead for three days. But the thing is, that just made the victory all that more glorious when he rose from the dead. And you know, that's the thing with Christianity. We actually can be defeated. I mean, completely defeated, but yet it still not be over. Lazarus was dead for four days. And yet he came back from that. Why? Because Jesus showed up. So no matter how far behind we get, no matter how bad we even lose, in the end, we're still going to win. The Bible says better is the end of a thing than the beginning. So patience. Once again, you've got to have patience. You've got to patiently endure and we could just go on and on just reading verses about patience. Patience, be patient. You know, wait, wait, wait on the Lord. There's a lot of verses about that, about waiting on the Lord. That's what we've got to do. So we can't let ourselves quit right before Christ's return. Look what it says in verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Okay? What's he saying right there? You say, listen, don't quit. The judge, he's right there. Alright? It's like, at any minute he can walk through the door. You know, so you don't want to quit. You don't want him to come and find you, you know, having quit right before he returns. And that's what's going to happen with a lot of people. They are going to quit right before things go our way. Right before Jesus Christ returns. We cannot let that happen. My dad used to illustrate it this way all the time, that, you know, it'd be like you're digging for a buried treasure. You're digging and digging and digging and finally you just quit and then the next guy comes along, sticks a shovel in one time and hits the treasure chest. You know, If you had just kept going, you would have found it. You would have got what you wanted and many people, they give up right before the Lord was about to give them victory. And not, just, and not even when I'm saying this too, I don't believe this applies just to the coming of Christ, but I believe the same principle applies when it comes to just our day-to-day life and success. For example, you know the Bible says, "Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not." There are many people, there are many pastors who have quit their churches. They've shut their churches down maybe one week before things turned around. And I, and I tell you, it's sad. I can't. I mean, I'm I'm saddened by how many churches I have seen start and quit. Just since we started this one. And it's like, you know, maybe if they'd have just held on a little longer. I mean, the judge was standing before the door. He was, God was all ready to bless them. Maybe he was testing them, wanting to see if they were able to patiently endure. He wanted them to, you know, be instant in season, out of season. God maybe wanted to test them in the out of season. And then what did they do? They quit right before God was about to bless them. We cannot let that happen. We've got to make sure we just keep on going. Quitting can't be an option. You just got you've got to keep it up. And many people, you know, whether it be their marriage, maybe things were just about to turn, but they decided let's just let's quit, let's get divorced. 
Many Christians, you know, their life didn't turn. It didn't start going as good as they hoped. And what did they do? They got out of church maybe one week before God turned their life around. Many people, even in business, maybe they had a tough start trying to get a business going and they gave up and they quit right before things were about to take a turn. You never know when things are going to take a turn. So what you need to do is just make sure you're in the will of God, get in the will of God, and then don't quit. Just keep going and you will reap if you faint not. The Bible promises us that. So, just keep going. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, "...take My brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering and affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy." Okay? He right here he brings up, you know, all these, you know, he, the fact that we actually have a bunch of examples. He mentions Job by name, but do we not have many examples in the Old Testament of people who patiently endured? And guess what? It turned out in the end that God was good. Joseph is a great example of that. Joseph is a man who suffered for years. He suffered for years when he had done nothing wrong. But what was the final outcome for Joseph? He was second in command of an entire nation and he saved his entire family. Joseph probably would have died in the famine had all those bad things not happened to him. But he patiently endured and God blessed him. Joseph died a happy man. Joseph died being able to see his father again, to see his brethren again, to see his brothers who hated him you know, basically on their knees begging him for mercy. That's the kind of that. That's what God ended up doing for Joseph. He why? Because he patiently endured, and we have example after example of people who did. They endured. They did the right thing, and we see at the end that the Lord, He is. He is very good. He is pitiful and of tender mercy. That's what happened with Job. Job lost everything. He lost everything, and that's a very sad story. But what is the end of Job's story? Job got double. Okay? Now let me ask you, are Christians the only people that bad things ever happen to? Absolutely not. Aren't there there's some lost people that have lost everything. But you know what they don't have? They didn't have, they don't get the blessings in return, do they? There are many people in the world today who are losing children, losing their jobs, losing their health. I mean, any bad thing that happens to lost people can happen to Christians too. But, if we go through these things in the will of God, what is the end result for us? The end result for us is the Lord is pitiful and of tender mercy and He ends up blessing us in return. We end up getting back more than we could have even imagined. That's the end result for us. The world doesn't have that. And folks, I don't want to go through bad stuff. You know, I don't want to lose everything. I, you know, I don't want to suffer. I, you know, I'm like anybody else. I don't want those things to happen. But I'm thankful to know that if those things do happen to me, I don't have to be a helpless victim with no hope and only sorrow. As a Christian, I can sorrow, but not as others which have no hope. I can know that you know what? 
the Lord is gonna, the Lord will repay me. The Lord will, uh, you know, He'll make these things right. Where I might lose my, you know, I could potentially lose my children if God forbid something like that were to happen. You know what? At least, unlike the world, I have the hope that I will see them again and I will be with them for all eternity. They don't have that. And it's like a lot of people, they read these stories of Job and Joseph and all the bad things that God's people went through. And it's like they're scared to be in the will of God. They're afraid God will let those things happen to them. But those bad things happen if you're in the world too. But if you're not in the will of God, you don't get any of the promises. So what we need to do, we always ought to have a mindset, you know what, what's the end of the thing? You know, what's, what is the end? You know, and as a believer, you know, even even myself, I mean, you you get the constant ridicule that's out there, you know. But at the end, it's like, hey, I'm on the Lord's side. They might drag my name through the mud now, but in the end, you know, the Lord's going to make it right. The I mean, there is nothing that the world can do to me that God's not going to just end up rewarding me for. And you know the stuff the world does doesn't bother me at all. You know it's but the stuff that supposed believers do that's the stuff that actually gets to me a little bit. I mean honestly, I you know all the negative stuff that I'm getting right now from the weirdos and I think you can say queer on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> you know, all, all the freak shows. All right, that stuff doesn't even register. But it's like when you get it from the supposed brethren, that's when it registers. That's when I actually need to like think, all right, Lord, you're going to make this right in the end. That's when I actually have to go to these passages and comfort myself sometimes with those things. That's where it actually can get difficult sometimes. But you know what? I'm going to do that because in the end, I've read this book, I believe this book, and it's all going to be made right. And I'm going to comfort myself with that. I'm going to think about guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they weren't the only Hebrews in that land when the king set up that idol, were they? And I'm sure they probably got some ridicule from their brethren. But who end up looking good in the end? They did. And remember, better is the end of thing. I'm concentrating on my ending. I'm not that you know. I'm not real worried about my present. Okay. I worry about my present because if I'm in the will of God now, then I will have a good ending. But my end goal is to have a good ending. And so I'm going to follow the Word of God by faith. I'm just going to trust the Lord's going to make it all right. And He will do that. And, you know, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I am, you know, I don't want to, I don't want this to come across wrong. But there has actually been a lot of victories. That I've gotten, you know, here on this earth, and recently, I mean, I feel like, you know, the Lord's given me a lot of the victories now, you know, over uh, when it comes to a lot of these things for the positions I've taken and things. But um, either way, I mean, I'm not going to boast on any of those things because once again, I mean, things things can turn. So you know, there, I mean, the attacks they can come from any direction. The devil he'll use whatever he can. I mean, he fights dirty. So, you know, I refuse to boast in any of it, but uh, at, at the same time, when I, when I go through stuff that actually does bother me, you know, I consider these stories. I remember these stories, 
and I think, you know what? Who cares if I look good now if I look bad on Judgment Day? Who cares if I'm told well done by the IFB and I'm not told well done by Jesus Christ? That's what I'm actually worried about. I'm seeking really only one's approval. I'm only seeking a well done... Now, I mean, listen, there's, I'm human. Okay? There's a part of me that would love to have a well done. I think about some of the heroes that I had growing up that wouldn't touch me now with a 10-foot pole. You know, I think about some of the guys that I idolized when I was younger and you know, thought I would love to preach for these guys one of these days and you know, I would love to have you know, gotten the compliment from these guys. I, I, would have lo- I would have loved that. But you know what? I mean, I've, you know, I'll probably never get that. But that's not my main goal. Those were side goals that I had. My main goal was to get the well done from Jesus Christ. And you know what? I think about some of the guys that I did, you know, that I would have, you know, loved to have received the accolades from. You know, the Keith Gomez's, Terry Angels, the Dennis Corals. I mean, these guys that were just my heroes that I, you know, strove to please and impress, I guess you could say, until, you know, finally just the scriptures got too clear for me. I've, I've thought about some of the guys who did kiss their rear. Some, I mean, just, even just recently, that did get all the compliments from those guys, that did get all the praise. I mean, some of these guys are looking at jail time right now. You know, they got the well done from the old IFB. They got the well dones from, you know, the Keith Gomez's and stuff. But they're not getting it anymore. And you know what? I, I would definitely rather be in my shoes than their shoes. You know, Sam Giff, he got the well done from Keith Gomez, but he's going to get a depart from me, ye that work iniquity, from Jesus Christ. You know, so it's like, at some point, you got to figure out what do you really want. And you know what? As a human, we do. We want that approval from certain people that we have in our lives. You know, I've got family members that are preachers that don't even want to have anything to do with me anymore. Yes, I would love to have their approval. You know, when you have you know letters from relatives that I mean, especially people who are known for being gracious, yet they send you letters that are I mean just snarky and mean. It's just like you know, how is this fair? You know, and it's it's tough to deal with that kind of thing sometimes. But you know what you do? You go to the Word of God. You go to the Word of God and it's like, you know, I don't even really want to... You know, There are some people, it's like when the Lord returns, you kind of hope that when they're standing before God, you can kind of make eye contact with them while they're on their way to getting thrown to the lake of fire. All right? This is a terrible carnal attitude. All right? okay? There are some people, you know, I, I kind of hope I can just look at, smile, wink at them, point, laugh. I, that's a terrible attitude. But do I have that attitude sometimes? Yes. Alright, yeah, yeah, I do. But some of these people, I don't even have that I don't have that attitude with them. You know, I you know, I'm you know, even if the Lord were to come down right now and say, you know, hey, this is my prophet in whom I am well pleased, you know. Even if he did that, you know, some of these people, I don't want to look at them and be like, Told you so. 
That's not how I feel about them. But at the same time, you know, one of these days, they will wish they were in my shoes. They will wish they would have done what I have done. They will wish they have taken the stand that I am taking. I know that because I can. Uh, I, I see what the Bible says, and I actually believe it. So we've got you've got to do that. That's why it's good to memorize these promises. You're going to need to run these things through your head sometimes. You need to know where to go to these scriptures. And you know, I'm, I'm afraid too many times. You know, people they learn the scriptures just like wanting to win an argument, just uh, you know, just to be able to put it to other people. That's not why we want to learn these things. Sometimes we need these things just for ourselves. And there, there. I mean, there have been many times where I have sat in my office, and I mean, before I ever even went, you know, post trip or anything like that. I mean, I prayed so much. I studied so much, just saying, Lord, reveal to me my intentions. You know, Lord, please don't let this be a pride thing. You know, Lord, don't let me be motivated by any of the wrong things. You know, show me. Lord, I need You to reveal my heart. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You better believe I was afraid of myself in that situation. But you know what? I, Lord always did. He always just pointed me to Scriptures. And it was always just, either you believe it or you don't. And listen, when I was growing up, I went to all the camp meetings and things. And in camp meetings, all they do is try to get people to doubt their salvation. Because they need to get some salvations at these meetings. That's all they do. And I remember as a, as a young boy, I got saved at five, but even years later, I would go to these meetings and you'd, you'd see all these people. I'd see you know, other guys my age, you know, other preachers' kids always going forward and getting saved at these meetings. You know, And I, I used to wonder sometimes, man, am I really saved? I mean, I thought all these other people were saved. You know, apparently I must not be saved either. Oh man, that preacher just told the story about the pastor's wife getting saved. You know, we've all heard that one a million times. A million times about the pastor's wife getting saved. I'd like to know who that pastor's wife was. I want to know if that's a real story. How many have ever heard about the pastor's wife getting saved? Alright? Is that even a real story or is that an urban legend? Alright? Is that just something some preacher told? I've heard stories of preachers getting saved. And you do, and you hear these things, and you know, the devil had me deceived. You know, the devil convinced me I was saved when I wasn't. Okay, and so you weren't saved. So why weren't you saved? Did you not believe on Christ? Were you trusting in your works to get you to heaven? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, it's like, what's going on here? And I remember, I remember, I'll never forget, I used to lay in bed at night, you know, after hearing a scary sermon on hell, and just wondering, am I sure I got saved? Because you know what? I didn't have, when I got saved, one of these magical experiences like they all have. I didn't have that time you know, where I was out drinking one day and the Holy Spirit convicted me. Told me if you don't stop this, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. And I went to the old-fashioned altar and I prayed. and Oh man, it changed everything. I never felt like doing those things again. It changed my life. I've never looked back. I've never been tempted to sin one time. You know? It's like you you hear those things like I didn't have that magical experience like that. 
When I got saved, you know, I didn't almost get struck by lightning like Alvin York did, and then all of a sudden hear the music playing in the church off in the distance, and go walking into that church all wet from the rain while the people sing an old time religion, and just the Holy Spirit drawing me to the altar with all the people surrounding me singing the praises. The preacher tell me I'll get down. I'll get... I never had that experience like that. So you do. I never had this transformation because I grew up in a preacher's home. So you do. So you go, you hear all these stories about these preachers talking about their transformation, talking about how they don't feel like sinning anymore. And I would lay at bed at night wondering, did I really get it? And it wasn't until finally, it was like the Lord told me, you either believe the Bible or you don't. And you know what He used to convince me that I was saved? Romans 10.13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember calling on the Lord. I, I knew that I believed it when I prayed it. I, you know, I said, well, I got saved, but I didn't really mean it. What do you mean you really didn't mean it? So you didn't believe? You didn't really want to be saved? You know what I didn't really mean it is code for? I didn't really intend to give up all my sins. I didn't really repent of my sins. That's what that means, doesn't it? Isn't, but no, that's not what we teach. And so, once I learned to, you know, anchor myself in what the Bible says, I was then able to have victory. I didn't lay. I I can you know, to this day I can listen to a fire breathing sermon on hell, and I'm not I'm not scared. Did anybody ever see that old movie in the '80s, The Burning Hell? You can go look that up on YouTube. It is so lame. But man, that scared me to death when I was a kid. We watched that in church one night and like 20 people got saved. I'm not kidding. I, I, I'm not kidding. There was a huge group of people up in the front that all got saved. All church members. <laughs> after, watching, after watching the burning hell in church. Scared me to death. All right? it, it's, it's lame now. Desensitized to those things. But you know what? You, people have got to learn how to just trust in the words of, of God. Anchor yourself in those things when it comes to your salvation and when it comes to the things that, you know the things that are to come, battles that you're going through in this world. Just claim the promises of God. That's what we've got to do if we're going to endure. And you see why this is a good... Like I said, this is like revival meeting messages that we're seeing through here. This is what people need. This is the kind of thing that needs to be preached in churches today. You don't need some big fat evangelist getting up, telling everybody you didn't really get saved when that soul owner came and knocked on your door. I don't believe in these one, two, three, repeat after me flimsy salvations. And listen, I don't believe in one, two, three, repeat after me too. But listen, when we go to somebody's house and we knock on their door, if they believe the gospel and they call on the Lord, guess what? They get saved. And I don't care what some evangelist says about that. These evangelists, they have to preach that stuff. Because they're an evangelist, they're supposed to be getting people saved. But they're too pathetic and lazy to go out knocking doors and go out in the highways and hedges. The last thing they're going to do is go evangelizing where there's no air conditioning. You know where they do their evangelizing? They do it right here from the pulpit, but on, on a Thursday and a Friday night, and who are you going to get in church? Save people. So what do we got to do? We got to preach them unsaved and get them saved again. You know? Hey, you never really got saved until you got lost. If you're going to get saved, you got to get lost first. You know, and I get that, alright? 
But listen, some of these guys take it too far. I heard a story about one preacher. They literally had an invitation where they had people come forward to get unsaved. Yes. And not, it wasn't because they believe you could lose your salvation, but like, some of you never were unsaved. Some of you never got lost. And so they all came forward and they prayed basically admitting they were lost. And people were getting up saying, I'm lost! I'm lost! And then after they got a big group of them all up there lost, then they had them get down and pray and get saved. That, my friends, is a circus and a freak show. That is just weird. And that, that, is, that is wicked stuff. But we need, to, we need to hurry along. I need to finish this up. So, verse 10, or the, in verse 10 and 11, it, remembered, it mentioned the prophets. You know, we need to remember, while we might suffer, none of us have suffered as much as they have, alright? We don't have any Job's in here. We have a Job attitude. We're not Job. We need to consider how great the rewards were. Verse 12 says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. We don't need to go around making rash promises and commitments. I don't need to, I'm not going to get up and say, I can tell you all one thing. You better believe I'm going to endure the end. You better believe I'm not going to take the mark of the beast. They can do whatever they want. They can threaten me however they want. They can do whatever. They can threaten my family. They can do whatever. You better believe I'm going to do the right thing. You know, we're not supposed to, you know, I fully intend to do the right thing. Alright? But do I need to have an arrogant attitude like that? I can tell you why all these other people flopping out, dropping out, just falling by the wayside. I'm going to stay faithful to the final final fight. I ain't giving up. I ain't backing down. I'm going all the way. I, I, that's not a good idea. Okay, I'm not going to do like uh, I forgot Randy Dignan. He was preaching at Keith Gomez's church. He gets up and he runs through the auditorium. He runs out the back door outside. The devil's out there in the parking lot. He's like, nah, 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 you can't get me. What? Listen, the devil can get me if I don't stay close to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go taunting the devil. I'll let God taunt the devil. You know, if I really got something I want the devil to hear, I'll ask the Lord to tell him. Because the devil's not scared of me, but he is scared of who I'm with. And you know what? If I go get arrogant full of pride, the Lord might give me some distance and might let the devil rough me up a little bit. I don't know. I'm not going to do that. That's just a stupid attitude. And when I heard him say that, I'm thinking, that dude's going to fall one of these days. That dude is going to fall. But that's okay. He's full of the Holy Spirit. All right? He does cartwheels every time he preaches. Literally. I've never seen him preach where he didn't do a cartwheel. Pretty impressive. He's a pretty big guy, but yeah, he can still he can do a better cartwheel than I can. But anyway, you know, don't we don't need to make big bold promises about all the tough stands that we're going to take when things get difficult? Because those who run their mouths the most about what they will do when things get tough are always the first to flop out. For example, the old IFB. Okay, all my life. I I will never forget. I remember I was sitting at Lighthouse Baptist Church. In LaSalle, Illinois, it was in their old building and my dad was preaching. I will never forget it. He was up there and he said, let me tell you all something, folks. One of these days, they're going to let men marry men. This was like in the early 
90s or late 80s. That's what he said. And I'll never forget as a kid, I'm thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> I was thinking, they, they would never do that. He used to say that. My dad used to say all these things that they're going to do one of these days. One of these days, you're going to see this kind of thing happening. And you know what? All these things have happened. And I used to go to all these meetings. I used to go to all these camp meetings. And they used to make all these big promises. Well, I would tell you the first day they legalized gay marriage. I'll be preaching at the Capitol steps. I'll be doing this. And they were always promising all these things. They won't even do it in their own church now. They're not going to preach against the queers even in their own church. Yet when I was growing up, man, they were going to do all kinds of things. Man, I'll start a revolution before I put up with that kind of thing. You won't even let... You won't, you're afraid to lose grandma in your church. Okay? We don't need to go running our mouths about all these things that we're going to do. Okay? You know, just let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You know what? Do the right thing today. Don't go tell them, don't go to, don't go telling us what you're gonna do in the future if things get bad. You know, do the right thing today. And they do. They'll still run their mouths today. Now, you know, you might get Paul Chapel now to condemn pedophilia. You know, he, he might preach hard against that. I'll and you know, he, I'll always preach hard against pedophilia. But wait, do they legalize it? All right. Here's the thing. If you're not even willing to preach against homosexuality now, okay, when the going gets tough in the future, when they start giving rights to the pedophiles, you know what? They won't preach against that either. When they're letting people marry animals, they won't preach against it then either. I don't, don't tell me what you're going to do in the future. Do something now, you pathetic pansy. Let me tell you, the old IFB, they did, man. They promised some big things growing up. And they have failed to deliver. They should have just kept their mouths shut. But no, they didn't. I just wish they had YouTube back then so we could hold them accountable for all these things and say, where are you now, punk? You know, why don't you do something now? They'll never shut me up. Yeah, they already did shut you up, buddy. They shut you up, man. You closed up like a clam. You're, you're, I mean, you're absolutely worthless. They don't do anything. It, it makes me sick. So, verse 13 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any married? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I wish I had some time to talk about this, but what do you think this means? I think it means exactly what it says it means. All right. I think it's okay. I think we should. If somebody's sick, if they come and they want us to pray over them, I think we ought to do what the Bible says too and anoint them with oil. And that's what we do around here. We still do that. Okay? Why? Because the Bible says to. Well, what if we don't have any oil? Well, if we don't have any, you know, we'll just pray over them regular. But you know what? It's pretty easy to get. We have some. We have. I have some in my office. It's ready to go. Why? Because we're ready to obey the Scriptures. We're ready to do what it says. Say, so, well, what if it didn't work? Well, maybe it's just because our prayers maybe wasn't effectual, wasn't fervent, wasn't from a righteous man. Maybe this wasn't God's will. Once again, this isn't name it and claim it. We, I, I think there's some specifics here that it's talking about that we could go into. I, I don't have time for that. 
I probably should preach a message just on this, but I think we ought to follow these instructions to the letter. I think it's appropriate, and we actually do practice that here at this church, and we're going to continue to do it. Notice how it says, confess your faults one another. This is, alright, this is not like going and confessing to a priest. Okay? If I sin against Brother Mark, why would I go to Brother Lonnie to confess that sin? Okay? I don't need to go to Brother Lonnie, but I do need to go to Brother Mark. Okay? When it's talking about confessing your faults, it's just, it's just talking about getting right with each other. Sometimes our prayers get hindered because we are not right with God's people. And so you know what we need to do if we want to have victory, if we want to have revival? You know what they do a lot of times happens in revival meetings? People start getting right with each other. They start confessing their faults one to another. That is a good thing to do. If you have offenses, you know what? You need to get those things right. It's good to go to people and apologize and make up for these things. And if somebody apologizes to you, go to them for forgiveness. Now, don't do what a lot of people used to do at my last church. At my last church, what people used to always do, this is a terrible thing to do. Whenever they hear you know, about a mess about forgiveness... They would. I, I remember this one lady in particular. She would. All, she would. She came to me to apologize to me for being mad at me for what I had done to her. Okay. Now, folks, that's just evil, right there. Okay. That's that's evil. Okay. So you are wanting to apologize to me for being mad because of all that I did to you, and then she proceeded to tell me all these things that I did to her. I'm thinking, how is this an apology? This sounds like you know, a time where you're going to come, you're going to bring up all my offenses. You know, it was just, I mean, that, that's just that's a wicked heart and mind that does that type of thing. But she would often do that type of thing. That was that was her way because she didn't just want to go and tell me how rotten I was, so she'd be real spiritual about it and come as an apology. I'm just wanting to make, I'm just wanting to get things right. Well, it's like, okay, if you're sorry at me for being mad, and since I didn't know you were mad, how about you just get right and not be mad? Because then I wouldn't get an opportunity to tell you off. <laughs> Which is what they really wanted to do. But no, if you, know, if you have done something wrong to somebody, you, know, you, need to get, you need to get that right. And don't go to somebody and say, I want to make up with you because I've been mad at you because of what you did. That, that's, just, that's just wicked. You know, get over yourself. But verse 19 or uh, 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Notice, well, that was the Old Testament dispensation. Well, then why is James using this as an example for us? Okay? Yes, that was in the Old Testament. But James is giving this as an example to us. And you know what? Maybe if we were a little more spiritual, we could pray away the water that's going in our basement. We can't even get it. We can't even pray enough to get to stop rain for three and a half days. You know what? Get convicted about that a little bit, or maybe actually have a fervent prayer because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if we would, I mean, listen, three and a half weeks. We can't Elijah all by himself got it for three and a half years. We can't do it for three and a half weeks. You know what? It's time to get convicted, folks. 
I understand we think we're the best church since life that there is. I understand we think we're, you know, just because we have great doctrine and everything, you know, that we're all that in a bag of chips. But guess what, folks? We're not perfect. We got some issues and we probably ought to fix these things so we can get some things done. And I, I believe what the Bible says right there. And we can't, we can't get to stop praying for three and a half days. You know what? Get convicted by that. Some of y'all need to get right. You know what? Maybe we got some achings. Maybe you got some stuff you're hiding in the tent. And you need to get rid of it. Maybe we need to find maybe we need to go searching through your tents, you know? <laughs> We're not gonna go that far yet. Well, I'm gonna pray the Holy Spirit reveals it. And cause, you know, because we need to be right with God. We need to be able to get our prayers answered. Our community is dependent on us, even though they don't know it. People need some place where there's people a a people of prayer that can get their prayers answered. But if we're not righteous, if we're not doing the right thing, it's not going to get done. But maybe just we're just not doing it. Maybe we just talk about doing it, we're just not doing it. You know what? Let's get it done. And so he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know what? We should look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ and try to keep them on the right path. When one, if we have somebody in our church, they start getting caught up in false doctrine, we want to try to save them from that. Why? Because if they go down that path, there's going to be a whole bunch of sins that are going to end up getting committed. And so if we can keep them from that error, we can stop a bunch of sin. And shouldn't that be what we're all about? Trying to get there to be less sin in the world? And you know we ought to be encouraging people to do right. So we need to look out for one another so we can make this world a better place. So we need to remember, ultimately, the goal of getting these prayers answered is not so we can just get what we want. Not to use God as our sugar daddy. But it's so we will be more like Christ. That should be the goal. And suffering may be something that God wants us to go through so we will be more like Him. But our prayer shouldn't be to avoid all suffering, but our prayer should be to avoid all things that would hinder our growth as a Christian. That's what we ought to be praying for. So, with that, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promises that are in there that we can claim. Help us, Lord, to do these things. Lord, help us to use Your Word as an anchor for our soul. Lord, help us to be more righteous. Lord, help us to be right with You and right with others, Lord, help so we can get our prayers answered, Lord. I want to be effective in my prayer life. Lord, sin will keep us from that. And I pray You'll help us as a church to get rid of those sins. And I pray You'll help us to be more like You. In Your name we pray. Amen.